Portland Computer Services presents the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Well, hi there. Don Wardlow here, Baseball Lifer in Residence. And this is going to be a special, one of two special editions that we have. Today, it's going to be a College World Series special. We have two guests appearing on this show, both of whom we've had before. These are guests from the University of Connecticut who've kindly given some time to do a second appearance, Adam Giardino and Chris Jones. And I have to say, we had a little bit of technical difficulties with Adam Giardino's connection to Zoom, but we did the best we could. Hopefully, you can understand what he says. Hopefully, not too much is missing from Adam's appearance on the program. Now, I'm going to say this now because I didn't say it properly when I was interviewing Chris and Adam, and I didn't have a way to fix it. The games are going to go this way. Today, as I'm recording this, Friday, June 16th, at 2 o'clock Eastern, you're going to have TCU, which is Texas Christian, against Oral Roberts. And then at 7 o'clock Eastern, tonight, you're going to have Florida against Virginia. We talk quite a bit about Florida and Virginia when we get into the interview with Adam and Chris tomorrow, Saturday, the 17th of June, that's the game we're going to talk about the most. Two o'clock tomorrow, Saturday, the 17th, Stanford and possibly Quinn Matthews, who struck out 16 men last Sunday against Texas. And he's going to face, assuming they use Matthews, he's going to face Rhett Lauder for Wake Forest. We'll talk a great deal about him because... Louder is expected to be a first-round draft choice, and there'll be several possible first-round draft choices discussed during this interview, which we're going to have in just a few minutes. The College World Series begins today, Friday the 16th, the day I'm recording and releasing this podcast. The round-robin portion of it ends on the 22nd. There'll be no games at all one week from today. And then the final round, the best two out of three, will be Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, June 24th, 25th, and 26th. So if you keep it where it is, you'll be able to hear my interview with Adam Giardino and Chris Jones from University of Connecticut, and we'll all talk about the College World Series that's about to start. This is the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Now a word from Cortland Computer Services. I am having such a problem at work. This is the second time this month I have had two computers down and I can't get my computer company to come to the office and fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when the computers are not working properly. 
I need somebody that can come out, see what's wrong, and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They have been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860. courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of computer services. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, special edition, where we're going to talk about the upcoming College World Series as we record it. And as I release it, it will be upcoming. (laughs) The very first game is going to be Friday, the 16th. That's going to be Oral Roberts against TCU. Then the later game that night, we're going to come back to this one a little. Uh, Virginia against Florida. It's going to be Stanford against Wake Forest. Again, we're going to talk about that later on. And the fourth game of the day at 7 o'clock is Tennessee LSU, the fourth game of the first round, I might say. Two games Friday, two games Saturday. And then it's just madness. It all depends who wins, who loses. They're scheduling nothing but doubleheaders. My guests have not been to Omaha, but they've been to the regionals and they've been to the super regionals with University of Connecticut. They are Adam Giardino. Thank you for ha- absolutely. No, this is exciting. I know we were on just a couple of weeks ago and chatting with you, but uh, I'm super excited to be back. College baseball postseason time. I think it's catching more national steam, which is really good for the sport, and it's it's worth it because those, especially those regional weekends, you can sit down and watch 32 games in a day and jump around and kind of have that NFL red zone action. It's oh, a really yeah. cool event. Yeah, hey, it's just a really cool event. I love it. And our other guest is Chris Jones, who also went to Florida with the UConn Huskies. Yeah, great to be with you guys. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can make this a yearly thing. Hopefully Adam and I can do one of these from Omaha one day. Hey, wouldn't I like that? I said the first game I really wanted to focus on was Virginia against Florida because both of you were there. Uh, Chris, when you were in Gainesville before, were they at the old ballpark? Because I know there used to be another one. Yes, we played there in 2014 and 2016. We were at the old McKeithen uh, Stadium, um, which is about – uh, probably like a mile up the road, um, more in in the campus. Uh, the new stadium's kind of on the outskirts of campus, but um, boy, one of the one of the best ballparks we've been to here the last few years. It's just uh, just immaculate. The, what they've done with that place is great for for their program and and definitely elevates them amongst the stadiums and in uh, the top conference in college baseball. I could not remember that stadium name for anything, McEthan. <laughs> What I could remember was the name of McHuber, the old broadcaster. When UConn played Florida, Vin uh, McHuber wasn't there. I think he had just left because I remember being in the press box and they have some, uh, at least in the old press box, they had like a hallway of just pictures of him and kind of a, um, just like a, a setup right outside his booth that kind of had him at the College World Series and, and other 
uh, places that he had done games. It was really, it was really cool. But yeah, I don't remember what the last year he was with the Gators. But he goes back forever, like John Tuitt does at UConn. Now you got to see University of Florida. There, all American Wyatt Langford. Mm-hmm. What do you have to say about him? Yeah, we actually, you know, in the game that we had against him, actually did a nice job of neutralizing him for the most part. But boy, you can just see the way that uh, with his approach, um, doesn't try and do too much. And um, in that tournament, you know, I haven't looked back at his numbers. I obviously watched them against South Carolina, but um, I think he had a home run in the Supers. But He's just a guy that, you know, has been able to find a way to get on base when guys haven't pitched to him. Um, and the guys around him in the order have obviously been awesome. Uh, Curland is a freshman All-American at the top of the order. And then you have, you know, the nation's leading home run hitter in Caglione right behind him. But, you know, the guy I was really impressed with um, that I hadn't seen up close in person was Josh Rivera, who's their cleanup guy and their shortstop. And, boy, he was just super impressive. I think he'll be... You know, he's not my X factor for them to win a national championship. I think the bottom of that order will be the X factor. Uh, if they can get Shellnut, um, especially a guy like Colby Halter, who has put it together before his freshman year and has kind of scuffled a little bit the last couple of years. But I think if they get the bottom of that order going, the way they're pitching is throwing it. Like, man, you don't even need Wyatt Langford to have a huge week in Omaha um, in order to win that thing, because they just have depth upon depth upon depth um, in the order and and on the mound. I'm going to dive into those Wyatt Langford numbers a little more, Chris. He's only 5 for 26 between the regionals. He went 0 for 8 in the Supers against South Carolina. So this is a guy that Florida's doing what they've done, and he's not even hitting 200 mm-hmm. so far in this postseason. So that's really scary, right? I mean, you talk about, okay, the bottom of the order gets going, but... Shoot, Wyatt Langford... Yeah, if he gets hot, look so out. So if this is a guy that gets anywhere close to that, Right. I mean, that's the top of the order. So Caglione, the nation's leading home run hitter, hasn't had one of the nation's leading hitters on ahead of him. So that really, you know, that that number jumps out to me of Langford. He's going to be a top five pick in a couple of weeks um, in the MLB draft. He's super talented. But like you said, he went 0 for 3 against UConn. So the Huskies didn't necessarily see it against him. They did a great job that day. But uh, Langford, he's he's dynamic. Now, the one pitcher you saw was... I don't think they're ace, but I know they're they're looking at him for being a big deal in the College World Series, and his name is Waldrop. Yeah, um, a transfer from Southern Miss. Um, yeah, he looked every bit of an ace the game he threw against us, uh, and he followed it up with an even more dominant outing against South Carolina. Um, fastball dials it up. You know, he was sitting 97, 98 against us. Um, and then you just couple that with that devastating split changeup that he has. And it was um, obviously it wasn't fun watching him do that against the Huskies. Um, and I didn't really get a good view. I had a TV screen off to my left, but I was set up along the right field line. So when I got to watch him against South Carolina and the Supers, it was a lot more fun to watch to see the movement on his pitches, <laughs> um, just how he was able to attack the, that lineup. And um, boy, he's special. He's a, you know, he's an ace on, pretty much every other staff in the country outside of maybe an LSU um, because he is a top 15, top 20 talent in terms of uh, in terms of the MLB draft. Um, obviously they love Sprout and he's another potential first round pick, but I think Waldrop is the guy that's going to make him go in this tournament, right? Like he'll pitch probably game two and that's either a win- winner's bracket game or a loser's bracket game for them um, if they're able to get past Virginia. So boy, if you go one, two, and Sprout throws well, Waldrop throws well, 
they're sitting pretty in that bracket. Um, and then you have Caglione looming and then that bullpen of, you know, we saw Fisher start in the regionals. You got Slater, obviously you got Neely at the back end of the pen. So again, they just have so much depth. You just turn from one guy to the next and they have, they're just an embarrassment of riches on the mound. Yeah. And I mean, why would you think he's not going to keep doing this just because in the postseason, again, two starts, 15 innings, eight hits, one run and 25 strikeouts in 15 innings. I mean, this is a guy that is peaking right now. His stuff is electric. You said that he's a first round talent, Chris. That's absolutely correct. Um, And it's just so interesting that in this day and age, I mean, this is probably for a different conversation, but right. NIL and moving up and transferring in that sort of situation. He was a third team All-American last year at a Southern Miss team who just bowed out in game three of their super regional against Tennessee. So, you know, this is, uh, this is a guy who pitched in an incredible program was a third team All-American last year and went on to greener pastures. You know, there's a, a guy like Paul Skeens, right, where he goes from Air Force to LSU. Okay, that that makes sense. He wants to challenge himself a little bit more. But Hurston, he's a first-round pick whether he stays at Southern Miss or not. And maybe he's in Omaha this week even if he stays because he's the guy that gets the Golden Eagles into Omaha past Tennessee. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, no matter where he's playing, he's been outstanding. And he, having struck out 25 guys in two games, is pitching about as well as you can right now. And going to the Saturday games now, I admit my – Trousers are a little loose when it comes to Tennessee and LSU, but we got we got talking points when it comes to Stanford against Wake Forest. The last time Rhett Lauder got beat, he got beat by the Yukon Huskies last year. Talk about the Rhett Lauder you saw a year ago and what you may have seen on TV this year. Yeah, Adam, I'll, I'll let you start. I'll let you get first words in this time. Yeah, you know, it's funny just because with everything that UConn went through last year in the postseason, it it blurs together a little bit. You forget that UConn was the three fifty wins, a couple of teams to finish last year with 50 wins, one win away from Omaha. And then you take a step back and you realize they were the three seed in a region where Maryland had their best season in program history. This Wake Forest team had all of the pieces in the cupboard where this year they're the number one team in the country. Um, and then you look back and you go, Wow, UConn had to do a lot to to get past Wake Forest in Maryland as the three seed um, before barely bowing out to Stanford, who made the College World Series yet again. So, yeah, that game last year against Rhett Lauder, UConn didn't explode until the fifth inning. And this was a, a really good pitcher. Lauder went six and a third, seven innings, seven strikeouts, 110 pitches. Um, the UConn lineup last year, it was punching a little harder in the postseason than this year's group. They were able to guile their way in the Big East tournament. And then, you know, they picked off a, a win against Florida A&M before dropping them. And so it was just that day UConn came ready to go. Brian Padilla, Casey Dana hit a couple of home runs. Those are, uh, you know, Padilla ended up swapping out of the starting lineup in the playoffs this year. Um, Casey Dana moved on after his grad senior year from Seton Hall. So this was just a little bit of a a, a lineup that might have been more ready for game one um, than they were game one this year offensively. Tommy Hawk was still the same guy for Wake Forest setting the table, but UConn had a, a bona fide ace going up against them in Austin Peterson. And six innings, three hits, 11 strikeouts. So he was great. And UConn didn't have, UConn got a pitching performance like that in the Big East tournament, but they didn't have anybody that really 
had the uh, opportunity to step up and do what Austin Peterson did last year. So I think that was the difference. And just thinking back to that Wake Forest game, I guess the best thing I can tell you, Don, is just that it feels like it blurs together a little bit, um, you know, pulling back the curtain team day in and day out. So maybe you have a little clearer memory, Chris, of, of that particular day, because again, for, for me, it just felt like a, a weekend rather than individual games down there in College Park. Yeah, I think um, at least for me, you know, the the ACC pitcher of the year, he's now won it twice. Um, I think he's the first guy um, since Holtzen did at Virginia um, to go, you know, multiple years, win ACC pitcher of the year. Um, I remember the scouting report vividly, um, obviously a guy that had a wipeout change up, um, but we were able to get to his fastball, uh, Padilla, um, you know, great fastball hitter, at least at the time last year able to take him deep and that kind of like let the offense kind of ease into it. Um, and then Dana obviously hits one off the left field foul pole late to kind of end his outing. Um, yeah, it's Adam, you said it, they had everything in the cupboard last year. It's just a couple additional pieces. Um, obviously Sean Sullivan has taken on a bigger role. Um, he'll probably be, it looks like they're going to use him out of the bullpen. Yeah. That's what they used him in the super regionals since they didn't really have to, to use him much. Um, uh, in, in just two games. So it, it'll be interesting, you know, the Wake Forest, I think that the big thing for them in looking at this matchup, um, obviously we got to see both teams. Can you match ace race with Rhett Louder in terms of, you know, can you apply that pressure to Wake's offense of a, you know, a close game? I, I think that, you know, the Alabama game, game one of the supers where it's five, four, you know, apply a little bit of pressure. Um, does Wake have, kind of a, you know, a win a national championship or bust mentality, or are they going to be playing loose and easy now that they're back at Omaha since the fifties? Um, that'll be interesting to see in game one. Are they kind of carrying the load of, Hey, we're the most complete team in the country. Um, we should win this national championship or is it a, um, Oh, we're here. Like this is just <laughs> house money. Like let's just go and have a great time. And, I mean, that's what they look like in the Supers. Look like they're just having a, a great time playing their brand of baseball. So um, I think what hurts Stanford is you have your stud, Quinn Matthews. Obviously, he was matched up for game two of the Supers against Texas and, you know, throws 156 pitches and was unbelievable. Um, you know, that's the Quinn Matthews we saw last year. Like, he was the guy that you were scared of. I know Alex Williams was the uh, Pac-12 pitcher of the year, but, you know, he's the guy that makes them go on the mound. Um, and I just don't know if the Stanford bullpen, they have awesome arms, but I just don't know if they're going to throw enough strikes. Uh, just seemed like, you know, whenever Texas was able to get back in games and, and whatnot, you know, they're walking guys, you know, a ton of freebies. So can Stanford limit the walks in their bullpen? Because if Ryan Bruno is throwing strikes, he could give you two or three innings to close, close out a ball game. But, you know, he pitches game three of the supers and, he can't even get past more than a batter because he, he walks him on four pitches. So um, yeah, I think that first game is going to be so intriguing. You know, Stanford went two and Q last year in Omaha. So can they get off the schneid there and get a, get a W under their belt? Um, lineup is similar to last year, not quite the the punch uh, that we saw, um, but they still got cable guys. I mean, they, they put Rios in there. We didn't play at all from last year. And now he's, you know, the, the, you know, comeback player, newcomer, you, you could say of the year in that league pac 12 player of the year. It's, it's unbelievable just how Dave Esker can take these guys 
that haven't played and just plug them right in to, you know, the departures that they had of Brock Jones and, and all the guys that, you know, Cody Huff and um, Crampton, all those guys that they had last year. Um, obviously they still have regular Bowser looks like he's starting to heat up, um, had a couple home runs in the supers uh, Montgomery. He's a guy that, yeah. you know, I don't know if he, his numbers will prove it right now. I think he struggled a little bit in supers, but he's a guy that can do damage from either side of the plate. So they just have so many weapons. It's going to be, that's, you know, obviously LSU, Tennessee, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but Stanford and Wake Forest has the same intrigue to me as, as that. I mean, boy, if you're, if you're Florida or you're Virginia on the other side of that bracket, like I know you can't, you know, TC and Oral Roberts are really good teams, but if you just look at the name brands, like, boy, that's the bracket of death on that other side with LSU, Tennessee, Wake and Stanford. I think they were preseason numbers one, two, three, and yeah, eight. I think I so. Think that yeah. side of the bracket. I mean, so these are teams that they've had winding roads. Tennessee didn't, you know, end up. So it took a while to to get there. But for these teams, they're you know one, five, eight, and Tennessee didn't finish in the top eight. But you know, these are these are four teams that at the beginning of the year, talent wise, they 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 made good on it. These were four teams that expected to get to Omaha when the year began and. Here they are. Now, you guys were both at Stanford a year ago. And now you may have seen on TV how the Stanford-Texas game ended. And since you can see, you would have a better perspective on how that game came to an end. Is there something deficient about the lights at the Stanford ballpark? What have, What do you think happened? I don't know. I, I just think it's the twilight dust period, right? Like, I don't even know if you blame it on the lights. Um, I didn't, I haven't looked back and gotten quotes from any of the Texas outfielders, but I just think it was the time of day. I think, you know, it was a later afternoon game that bled into the early evening. And I think it was just one of those that, you know, twilight dust, we always talk about it. It seems like every broadcast that we get into that timeline is, Hey, just be aware. Like this yeah. is a, a time that you could lose it. And if you remember last year, Chris, when I, I I believe we were around the conversation of I think there were flexible start times during that mm -hmm. super regional and Stanford, the wind blows out at nighttime. So as much as they could, the Cardinal wanted to play as late as ESPN would allow them or at least as late in the afternoon as they could. So it's interesting that game three this year. I think because there were only two games that night, it ended up being more of a twilight start rather than being, say, you know, if there were four series in the Supers that went to a third game, Stanford could have had a 10 o'clock Eastern start time, which would have been 7 p.m. By the ninth inning, it would have been night and Texas wouldn't have been dealing with what they had to deal with in the ninth inning. So that was what really stuck out to me. Not necessarily, Don, that I remember any pop-ups getting lost in the light last year, but my mind went back to if all things were equal, Stanford would have picked a 10 p.m. Eastern start time. And instead, they had to settle for an 8 p.m. Eastern start time. And that wound up being the difference because it was twilight at the time that that pop up was hit. And when we see Wake Forest now, they play in a relatively small ballpark. I don't know if it's as small as. University of Maryland was a year ago. I mean, was that place mad? Yeah, it's, it's smaller. It's a little bit. I mean, I think it has a more true center field than um, than Maryland's field, but the lines are way a uh, much shorter uh, than Maryland's. Um, but I don't know. Like, I don't know if that has that in, that much an effect on a lot some of their guys. Like, obviously. You know, uh, fortunate, like four weeks ago, we were in Omaha to play Creighton. 
And that ballpark does play big. Obviously, Luke Broadhurst and Huber were the only two guys that left the yard there for UConn. Um, but I don't think a Brock Wilkin or a Kurtz, um, some of those middle of the order guys, I don't think it's going to affect them. I think it's going to affect the Josh Johnsons, the Tommy Hawks, you know, the guys that have a ton of home runs, but aren't typically your quote unquote home run hitters. Um, those are going to probably turn into outs or they're going to turn into doubles, um, which I don't know. I'd have to look at Wake's road record of how they did on the road this year. Obviously with their gaudy record overall, I got to assume it's, it's decent, but um, and the other thing too, with them, is 22 like, and set 22 and seven away. Yeah, yeah. 22 and seven. The other thing with wake, which I'm not worried about for them is okay. So you take some of those home runs away. You have the nation's best pitching staff in terms of ERA. So it's like, well, they're not giving it up either. So it helps their pitchers <laughs> as well. So, um, I'd like to see them stay aggressive though. I wouldn't like to see them stay just swinging for the fences. Like, you've got some athletes on that team. If you guys get some, get some guys on, like let's hit and run, let's use your speed a little bit. Um, let's not sit around and wait for the three run Homer. Cause they got a, a ton of athletes in that lineup that they could utilize in terms of that, where you can manu- if you need to manufacture a run here or there. And Chris, I've never been out to that ballpark that Creighton played at. And uh, one of those three games, that first game, I think it was a Thursday night game. Cause it was the last series of the regular season. So it was a Thursday instead of a Friday, that game was on FS. Fox Sports, mm-hmm. one or two. Yep. Um, and I do remember it just it's big. I mean, even if even if it was a major league stadium, when fly balls are hit and the camera pans back, I mean, you you notice. Even mm-hmm. if you don't know that it's a big ballpark, you do sit there and just think, wow. I mean, a guy's ranging back on a fly ball and he still gets nowhere close to the warning track. Um the the game between Tennessee and LSU, which will be the seven o'clock game Saturday night. Now, I don't know much about either one of these teams i know lsu has pitcher paul skeens and hitter dylan cruz both supposed to be top picks but i don't know that much about tennessee and i don't know that much about the rest of lsu what kind of game do you guys figure we'll see on saturday night yeah i've got to believe that it's going to be a pitcher's duel back and forth in in loving or hating the fact that these are two sec teams um you know you get to omaha and obviously the sec is Ballyhoo is the best conference in the country and deservedly so they've got three of the eight right of these teams florida lsu and tennessee so the the cream did rise to the top and this was a really good conference once again this year um you know the acc would argue hey we got virginia and wake forest but end of the day uh i i almost wish that there you know could have been a little shuffling because lsu and tennessee obviously squared off already this year it's got to be paul Skeens as the storyline he's got an era of 177 he struck out 188 batters in 107 innings. This is somebody who put his fate into his own hands after two years at Air Force Academy. He was so dynamic there last year as a sophomore, really opened some eyes and somehow got that much better. I mean, in the Mountain West Conference, he had a 2.7 ERA and struck out 96 over 85 innings. Over to the SEC, and even if those numbers took a half-notch backwards because of the competition you said yeah this guy's really bona fide good he's going to be a first second or third team all-american the fact that he did what he did um and play and plays and pitches with that kind of confidence is is just so stunning and there's yeah there's no way that this guy moves beyond 
the third pick. I mean, you know, even if the teams are thinking, oh, we, we don't want a 21 year old. We want a, a high school kid. I mean, the end of the day, this guy is electric. His final pitch of a 126 pitch complete game against Tulane in the regional was 101 miles an hour. I, I mean, you know, take it for what it's worth. It was a five run lead in a regional against a four seed. Does Paul Skeens need to be out there at that point? I'm saying no still, you know, it's the same sort of conversation about Quinn Matthews in the super regional about his pitch count, but you know, for Paul Skeens, that's who he is and he wanted to go the distance and he sure did for Wake Forest is super talented and Paul Skeens is that if not just a little bit better. Yeah. I'm, obviously you hit on Skeens, him, him probably against Lindsay, obviously Dolander is a guy that's could be a top 10 pick top five pick for Tennessee, but he's kind of been slotted into that two role. He's had his ups and downs this year and it looks like, you know, Tony Vitello is going to stick with Andrew Lindsay for game one. I, I, you know, this is, I, this game is, I think is so important for LSU because of who they have after Paul Skeens. Like they have struggled all year long in terms of trying to figure out like who can throw for us after Skeens. Um, it looks like Riley Cooper has been really good out of the pen, um, but they've kind of shrunk it down. And obviously Omaha when you go to the College World Series, you can use that format to your advantage where you have the off days. So mm. for LSU, if you're able to get a, you know, Skeens has been seven plus, it seems like every start. So can you get him through seven or eight and not have to use that bullpen and be able to, if Thatcher Hurd or one of their other starters blows up in game two, be able to utilize, you know, that bullpen? The interesting thing is if Tennessee can do what they did in Southern Miss and just spoil pitches, waste pitches, drive up pitch counts, um, and get Skeens out of that game in the fifth or sixth, and you get into that bullpen, then, oh, here we go. Like, I, I don't feel great about LSU coming out of a loser's bracket um, in terms of their pitching because, you know, you got to get game one with Skeens. And if you don't get game one with Skeens, it's probably going to be like LSU season was for about four or five weeks there from, you know, beginning of April to beginning of May, where they were struggling to win the series in the SEC. So, you know, Tennessee's not going to be scared of them. Uh, you know, this is kind of the team after the team for Tennessee. Uh, they don't have the the top tier talent in terms of the first round picks like Drew Gilbert uh, and the list goes on and on from last year's team. But they just have, I don't know, just watch them in that Southern Miss. That, you know, that's a tough environment, not only with the fans, but it's a tough environment when you got to sit around with all those rain delays and, you know, we've been to Southern Miss, like there's no locker room. Like, I don't know if they bust back to the hotel, if they're just sitting underneath the stands like we did um, down that first base side. So I presume they would have just gone back to their hotels for those lengthy delays, but they kept their focus and man, they're coming, like they're playing their best baseball at the best time of year. Um, You know, for them, it's like, if you lose Andrew Lindsay's start, you still got Dolander, you got Burns out of the pen. You got Drew Beam. Like you got three Friday night guys. You got potentially four Friday night starters on that staff. <laughs> One closes and then three start. It's just, again, like, I don't know. I feel like Tennessee could be the team that comes out of this side of the bracket, even though Wake and, um, you know, you look at Wake and LSU as the two teams with the star power that should probably advance um, and, and move on. I, I don't know. I just, Tennessee's just, you know, you see it so many times. They playing their best baseball, and hey, this—they don't have the pressure on their shoulders that they did last year as a 50-win team that was supposed to go to Omaha. Like they're the team that knocked off Clemson and went into Southern Miss and won that, and now it's like, all right, here we go. Let's uh, let's ruin everyone's tournament. 
Yeah, I was just to say that for um, for me, the only other thought there is you talk about Paul Skeens and, and my mind is obviously thinking LSU. OK, because I'm I'm agreeing with you, Chris, in terms of the depth and the arms that they can keep bringing. If you're Tennessee, if you're LSU and you get, you know, at this time of year, you get that six nothing lead in the third inning, something mm-hmm. like that. And you can get Skeens out of there and feel OK about it. Now, you know, you got to win game one, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that is your goal. But if you can get Skeens out of there, you're saying, okay, well, if they bring his pitch count out, I'm thinking if you can get him through three, four innings and he's at 40 pitches and you've got a massive lead, pull him. And then all of a sudden, five days later, he's ready to go for your third game. I mean, that's obviously a little bit further down the line, but um, you know, that, that is the benefit to Omaha. The number one potential overall pick Dylan Cruz and that <laughs> right. line with Tommy white. And like, yeah. I'm watching them in the supers and I'm like, how do you navigate? this lineup like obviously it won't play as offensive as Alex Box uh, is on a human night uh, in in late May (laughs) early June Um, but boy they just have you know Beloso comes in he doesn't play every day but he comes in and can hammer extra base hits it's just like yeah again there's we we definitely lucked out in terms of Omaha got a lot of quality teams in terms of wake uh, in terms of LSU, uh, in terms of Tennessee, you know, so much star power. And I think that's, you know, you're talking about NIL and, you know, the bigger discussion in terms of TV, which college baseball is coming on, coming on, coming on. Mm. But it's becoming so much more popular because all these games are, you can stream them on ESPN Plus. You can, you know, watch the Thursday night SEC games. You know, they're putting games on the weekend. It seems like ACC and SEC are getting the majority of that ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN TV time, but you know, that's, that's huge in terms of the recruiting world. Like if you're a kid and you're flipping on ESPN and I know it's not like how we grew up Adam, where it was like, you tuned into sports center every single night at 11. Right Now you can kind of go to, you know, on your social media, you know, go to ESPN plus watch games on your phone and stuff, but you're flipping on the TV and you're seeing Tennessee, you're seeing LSU, um, you're seeing Florida. And these guys are like superstar. Like people know yeah. who Kirsten Waldrop is. People know who Dylan Cruz is. But they don't know who, you know, they're just learning about Jonah Cox. They're just learning about some of the Wake players. Um, you know, it's such an advantage. And we'll see. I, you know, I think it's great. I think I think college baseball is closing the gap. I don't think we'll ever get to a football or basketball standard, but it's getting there in terms of eyeballs. Um, you know, especially right after March Madness finishes up, people are just looking to get kind of that itch in terms of college sports. And I think college baseball is just going to keep humming along and hopefully other conferences kind of jump aboard and follow what the SEC is doing. You've been listening to a special edition of the Baseball Lifer podcast concerning the upcoming College World Series. My two guests, Chris Jones and Adam Giardino, both with the UConn Huskies. They both broadcast the baseball tournament for the Huskies. And Chris, you follow them all season long. And Adam, you've jumped in whenever 97.9 decreed it. And I want to thank you both for joining me on this program. Thanks so much for having us, Don. I really, really, uh, really appreciate you having us on. And um, I know Adam's got to tend to some uh, some adulting. Uh, so hopefully, you know, get that paint bucket out. The the big task today is uh, so yeah, just closed in a house a couple weeks ago. Uh, so I left my my wife toiling away back at the the house as we're we're getting things settled. But the big task today is uh, painting my office, and it's a uh, American flag blue. So I got Yukon blue going up on the wall. So I'll be 
locked in anytime I'm, I'm prepping for broadcast. That's a good thing. Definitely. I'll be listening to both of you guys when baseball comes around again. I'll be following this World Series, and I'll talk about it some on next week's edition. And I will be back to tell you about a very special guest we have for next week's edition. You'll hear that after a word from our sponsor. Keep it where you got it. I'm having such a problem at work. It's the second time this month. I've got two computers down, and I can't get my computer repair company to come to the office to fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies to help us. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when our computers are not working properly. I need someone who can see what's wrong and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They've been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860, courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of services. Back with you on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Don Ward, though, here. And once again, thanks to Adam and Chris for joining me so we could do the College World Series episode of the Baseball Lifer podcast. Now we've got some bookkeeping before we leave you for this week. First and foremost, I've had some problems at my end receiving emails that have been sent to me. The email address where you can send me an email is don at thebaseballlifer.com. My first name, don at thebaseballlifer.com. When we did our Hall of Fame show with Jeff Idelson, I asked a trivia question, which Troy Larson sent an answer to, but because I couldn't retrieve the email until now, I didn't realize that. And Troy is a guy who has had me on a couple of his own podcasts, and he's appeared with me on Bob Branco's show, Sports Roundtable. So the question at the time was, since I had just come back from the Hall of Fame, who was the first sitting president to visit the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown? And Troy was very close. He said George W. Bush. In fact, the answer was, Barack Obama was the first president to visit the Hall of Fame while he was in office. So Troy did send me the email. He did take a shot at it. And so for that, he will receive a small gift from a company that's not a sponsor of ours, so I won't name them. With that settled, I'm going to ask a trivia question for this week's episode. And I hope I've fixed my problem with receiving emails with retrieving them, if you will, so that you can answer this 
trivia question and hope I mention your answer next week. The question is this. June 1974. That was when the Cleveland Indians, as they were then called, had a promotion where they sold beer for a dime. And they had a big crowd, especially for them, on a Wednesday night, 23,000 people at the old Cleveland Stadium. Unfortunately, the game turned into what, what was called the Cleveland Beer Night Riot. Fans stormed the field in the ninth inning, and the game was forfeited to the Texas Rangers. So here's the trivia question. The Texas Rangers of 1974 actually had a Hall of Famer on their team, and he was their starting pitcher the night of that monumental game in Cleveland. He was their starter, and for a further clue, he was a Canadian, and he was originally scouted to play hockey as opposed to baseball, but he chose baseball, and he ended up in Cooperstown. So who was he? Who was the Rangers Hall of Famer who was the starting pitcher on 10 Cent Beer Night in Cleveland? Send the answer to Don at thebaseballlifer.com. Don, my first name, Don, at thebaseballlifer.com. Next week on our program, we've got another very special show. I've been extremely fortunate in some of my guests, but never more so than the guest I'm going to have next week. And that's John Sadak, the voice of the Cincinnati Reds on TV. The Cincinnati Reds have made quite a rally at the beginning of this baseball season. And so we'll talk to John about that as well as his own broadcasting career. That's what you'll hear next week if you join me for the Baseball Lifer podcast. Until then, I hope you enjoy any of the College World Series you might manage to catch. And have a good week. This is Don Wardlow on the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Take care. (music) 